Well, I want to certainly thank you for being attentive this week. It's been a delight to be here. I've always enjoyed coming back here and uh, remembering I was up in the trailer court when my wife and I were here as married students. There were 23 kids running around that trailer court, and it was full. And our prayer is, again, that God would fill this campus and uh, with students who would desire to know God's Word. And I was thrilled to sit in church history class in the early hour this morning and to listen to uh, one of the men that I have certainly come to appreciate for God's uh, leadership ability given to him and to hear him talk about getting the message right. And that is really the heart of this school, and it is my heart and the heart of Rama on the Road Ministries. By the way, um, we'll be tearing down our display uh, shortly after lunch today, so if you would... Um, if you would want to sign up on that email list that's on my table and to receive our prayer letter, we'd love to send that to you. We send it out bi-monthly, and it just gives you an idea of where we're going. And if you would pray for us, we'd certainly appreciate it as we travel uh, around. So, um, Also, any of the resources that are there that you may want to take advantage of, it, there is a form on the one side of the table that you can fill out. If you want any of those resources, we will mail them to you here at the school. And uh, unfortunately, we try to keep the cost as low as we can, but we've got to reprint. So uh, we, try to, uh, we try to make those available at as least a cost as we possibly can. So they are available if you want to take a look at those. Um, we've been talking a lot about encouragement this week, and I trust that um, you have found it encouraging as we have looked at uh, the example in the life of Barnabas thus far, who was known as a son of encouragement. And that's really what God wants us to be, just men and women of encouragement. Uh, and I think, you know, as I've, as I've um, considered the day when we will stand before the Lord... Uh, one day. You know, I, I've really come to realize that I don't think it's going to be so much about how much scripture we knew and uh, how, many, how, many, how many Bible books that, you know, if we could name them all in a row and get them in the right order. I think it's going to be about, more about our interaction with one another, how we, how we served one another, how we've been an encouragement to one another in the body of Christ. And as I said, that's really why I believe God, one of the primary reasons God has established the church, obviously to be a mission-sending agency, but also to be a place of encouragement where God's people can come together. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, we're to do it all the more as we see the day approaching. It is not going to get easier as time goes on. It's going to get more difficult. And I would say to you, uh, I remember uh, uh, teaching expositional preaching here and saying to the preaching students, you know, um, if you are not called by God, if you do not have the definite call to the preaching ministry, don't go into it because you won't last. Um, these are difficult days for pastors, and I, I, really, I really have a heart and a concern for men of God who are called to preach, because these are difficult days. We're, we're moving from an era when, when even in the secular realm, the man of God was revered and respected uh, as, as a man who was called by God to a particular place, but in the church now, most of the men are viewed as merely employees of the church, and you, you have to live, and you have to, uh, everybody's got an expectation, you know, and you'll hear things like this, well, I put my money in the plate, so I should have a right to say what the preacher does, and, you know, those kind of things, so um, please, please understand this, that these are difficult days, but if God's called you to minister, please, please give people what they need, not what they want. 
And what they need is the Word of God. God has not called you to uh, preach psychology or to be a clown in the pulpit. He's called you to preach the Word of God, and that's really what we need to do. So um, now when we're talking about encouragement, um, we were looking at the life of Barnabas, and we've learned three principles about the establishing of an encouraging spirit. One of those is it insists on spiritual intimacy and a right relationship with the Spirit of God. Why? Because it is the Spirit of God who is the, who is the Spirit of comfort. He is the comforter. God is the God of all comfort, and so he is the very source from which encouragement flows. And we know that the Holy Spirit indwells us, and so as we abide in him, encouragement will be one of those natural fruits of the Spirit that will come out of our abiding with Christ. Secondly, it includes seeing my possessions as a... Um, seeing my possessions as a means of bringing blessing to others. Why? Because encouragement often takes on tangible means. And we talked about that a little bit yesterday. This is where we left off. It includes capitalizing on people's future potential rather than focusing on their past failures. And we talked about Paul after he was converted, coming to Jerusalem. And if it was not for Barnabas, really taking a risk on this man, Saul of Tarsus, who was a persecutor of the church, and bringing him in amongst the other disciples and introducing him and 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 and. and and, uh, and kind of coming alongside to be a strength to him, he may never have found a place of acceptance. And so, but as we were ending last day, that uh, Paul forgot about that because uh, when he was when he was directed by the Spirit of God into missionary service, you remember in Acts chapter thirteen, separate unto me Paul and Barna, or Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them, and they head out on a missionary journey, and they take a guy by the name of John Mark with them. You remember that? And John Mark, shortly into that missionary journey, gets cold feet, and for some reason we're not told in the scripture, but for some reason John Mark leaves their company and he returns home. And we know that after, uh, after uh, Paul and Barnabas come home from the missionary journey, they rehearse in the ears of, uh, of, of the church in Jerusalem all that was taking place. And of course, Acts chapter 15, we know the Jerusalem Council, the big controversy in the early church um, about Gentile conversion. And it's very interesting that whenever Paul was in a difficult place, whenever he was called to a difficult task, who did he want alongside him? He wanted Barnabas with him, and Barnabas is there at the Jerusalem Council, and we know that he brings Paul great encouragement, and then it comes time to go back out and revisit some of the churches that they had planted. And you remember Barnabas says, because he was a man of encouragement, Barnabas says, hey, I got a great idea, Paul. We're going to take John Mark with us on the second journey. And do you remember what Paul said? Paul said, there is no way I'm taking him because he copped out on us the last time and I'm not taking a risk on him again. And it caused such sharp contention at the end of chapter 15 of the book of Acts, you find it, that Paul and Barnabas actually separate. And Paul will take Silas and head off onto the missionary journey. And Barnabas, very interesting, in Acts chapter 15, at the end there, takes John Mark... And he takes him to Cyprus. Now, it's very interesting. Remember we said, uh, when we were talking about some of the things that characterized this man from Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, one of the things that is said about him there was that he was from the island where? Of Cyprus. So, let me ask you a question. Where did Paul, where did Barnabas take John Mark? He took him home. That's right. He took him into his own company. 
And he took him home and for a process of a number of months ministered to this young man and poured into his life when, when, when he would have felt like, like he had been a failure and that he could not be used of God again. It was Barnabas who takes John Mark under his wing, takes him home to Cyprus and pours into this young man's life to such a degree that at the end of Paul's life as he's there in a Roman prison cell anticipating martyrdom, he says, bring me uh, the parchments. I want the word and bring the cloak because it's, it's cold, it's near winter, but don't forget to bring along John Mark. Why? Because he has proven useful to me in ministry. And I believe this, listen, that if it had not been for Barnabas taking John Mark under his wing, taking him home, pouring into his life, ministering to this young man who felt a failure, where would Barnabas or where would John Mark have been? He proved to be a profitable servant because of one who was an encourager in his life, who was not concerned about past failure, but focused on the future potential of a young man, and John Mark would become a tremendous servant of God. And you know what? Uh, God has a wonderful way, and we talked about this, of taking failure and making success out of it. And you know what? The, the 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 Christian, if we can say this, that the Christian platform is 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 just dotted with failures, right? <laughs> How many of us in here have not said to God, God, I I got I I blew it. I got to start again. You know, I can't count the number of times. And I'm glad uh, for a number of folks who have come into my life who were great encouragers who just kept me going. And uh, when I would have long since dropped out, you know. Uh, my greatest encourager, of course, is the Lord Jesus. So uh, we need to recognize this. We need to focus on people's future potential rather than their past failure. And uh, so that's the third principle. Only Luke was with me. That's right. Pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me in ministry. Let me give you the fourth principle. It increases as I invest personally in the lives of others. If we were to go to Acts chapter 11, you remember um, uh, that the church was founded, its headquarters in Jerusalem, uh, but it was not uh, through persecution. The church was scattered from Jerusalem, and the headquarters of the church uh, became in a place called Antioch in Syria. And uh, I've got a little bit of a picture here. Um, and notice it says here, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and, the, and for a whole year they met with the church, Paul and Barnabas, and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Here's a picture of modern-day Antioch in Syria. But uh, here, here Paul comes back to Antioch. Barnabas finds him, brings him to Antioch. And uh, we find here that for a process of an entire year, they're pouring into these believers, investing in their lives, And the Bible says because of that investment, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, prior to this, they were known as followers of the way. Taken from Jesus' own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they were known as followers of the way. But now they are given this name Christian. Now, what's that name really mean? We we like to use this idea, well, it's a Christ-like one. But it really comes from the political realm of the day, the IA. Uh, I-A-N ending on Christian means one who belongs to the party of. And so the word Christian is really one who belongs to the party of Christ. And we know in that day in Rome that 
to worship any other god but Caesar meant your imprisonment and likely your martyrdom and death. And so these Christians were so loyal to Christ that there was no question as to where their allegiance was. And so they were known as Christ-like ones or ones who belonged to the party of Christ. Their allegiance and their loyalty was only to Christ and they were willing to go to the death as a result of that. And so, in the midst of a compromising age, when even many Jews were saying, we have no other God but Caesar. Here were a group of people who were saying, we have no other God but Christ. And they were loyal to him, and that's what we need in this day and age. Men and women who are going to be loyal to Christ and stand for him against the current of the age. And uh, that was these people called Christians. And Paul and Barnabas invested in the lives of men and women there. And I believe the reason why they were called Christians was due to the investment of Barnabas in the life of so many Christians who were there. Listen, encouragement is going to involve investment in the lives of others. I remember shortly after we uh, had moved back to Ontario, God led us to a church that was 204 years old. It was steeped in tradition, generational church, And uh, it was a church that was small and content to be small. I remember the mantra was, we love our little church on the corner, you know, and that's all it was, was a little church on the corner. And uh, God began to burden my heart for evangelism in a small community that was about five minutes south of where we were. It's the community that I now live in. And I remember we had done an evangelistic push, and before we were done that Saturday, there was a call came to the church from a young couple who, uh, who, 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 who requested a visit from the pastor. So I went in the next week, and I sat down with him. I could tell April had had some, some gospel influence, found out that she had grown up in the community where the church was, had attended some of their kids' groups in her younger years, and had been introduced to the gospel, but never came to a place of commitment in her life. Greg, on the other hand, was absolutely, was absolutely foreign to him. And I remember sharing with, it, with Greg about the gospel. April was, was affirming things that she had heard in her past, but Greg was, it was totally ignorant. And I remember Greg saying to me at one point, Pastor, I, I just can't comprehend it. I just don't understand it. It was like the Spirit of God said to me, don't say any more. A couple of weeks later, I went back in and shared with Greg, and, and still it was, like, it was like there were blinders on his eyes. He just could not get it. And uh, about... Another couple of weeks, we were doing the Lord's table, and as we were administering the elements, I noticed both Greg and April took. And so I was standing out in the, in the foyer, and, and uh, Greg came by, and he said, Pastor, when you shared today um, about Christ, the lights came on. It was the Spirit of God revealed to him his need, and he trusted Christ and took communion, and, and, uh, and that's when the work began. And I remember going weekly and spending hour upon hour with Greg and April investing in their lives. And folks, listen, it is not a waste of time to invest in the life of a young believer. And uh, sometimes you feel like you take two steps forward and three back 
And you wonder, are they ever going to get it? Well, let me tell you something. Greg and April came to Christ. Their entire family was baptized. And today they are serving in the church. Greg is an elder serving God. And let me tell you something, folks. Whenever I'm in the area, they call me. And we go over for a visit. And they are one of the trophies of grace of my ministry. But I'll tell you this, that I realized early that if encouragement was going to happen in their life and they were going to make it, it took an investment by a more mature Christian into their life. And that's what it's going to take. It's, you know what? Ministry is about people. Understand that. And when we get so wrapped up in administration and the, and, the, and, 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 the, and the monotony of ministry that we have no other time for people, let me tell you, we better make some adjustments. And it's about investing in the lives of people. And I would encourage you, make people your focus. There's a lot of people that serve institutions. But we need Christians who are going to serve people. People. Let me share with you lastly here. It's incumbent, if I'm going to establish the spirit, that I accept my God-given place of ministry. Let me share with you this. If you look at Acts chapter 13, you're going to find a progression that begins to take place. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. You move from Acts chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy. And it's almost as though Barnabas fades off the scene. Now, I'm just wondering if in our day and age, if it's kind of like John the Baptist, you know, all of Judea is coming out to him by the, by the Jordan and he's baptizing them and And he's preaching a baptism of repentance in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And all of a sudden, this carpenter from Nazareth shows up, Jesus, and he baptizes him. And then everybody follows Jesus. And John is left there standing in the Jordan and with a few disciples around him. And they're saying, Master, look, all men have followed Jesus. And he says, he's got to increase. I've got to decrease. Do you know what John understood? John understood his God-given place of ministry. And he was okay with Jesus advancing and him fading into obscurity. Why? Because he 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 accepted the place of God's choice for him in ministry. Now listen very carefully. When... I accept the place that God has given me in ministry. You know what happens? It frees me up then to be an encouragement to others in their God-given place of ministry. It is not about competition. It is not about one member being more important than the other. Certainly there are more visible ministries, but any of us in visible ministry know if it was not for the men and women behind the scenes faithfully holding us up in prayer and supporting our ministry, we would certainly, most certainly fail. 
Look at the Apostle Paul. In all of his letters at the end, what's he do? He gives thanks for believers who supported him in the ministry. And he said this, The reason God has prospered my ministry was because of many who labored with me in the gospel. And many of those men and women we never find as the prominent characters of Scripture. And Paul will bring that into his teaching to the Corinthian church when he says this, God gives more abundant honor to the members that seem less important. Listen very carefully. There is, there is a huge amount of competition going on in churches today. People vying for positions. It's not about position. This is not about us building our kingdom. It's about us advancing God's kingdom. And so I need to be settled in the place of service that God has appointed to me and allow God to use me there. And it's okay with me if somebody advances farther than I do. I remember the man, John, uh, John, you know him well, Evan Craig. I had the privilege of being discipled by this man and mentored by this man and we still have a Paul and Timothy relationship but you know what really impressed me one day he came to me and sat down with me and said this Terry he said the thing that has brought me greatest joy in my ministry has to see has been to see God use you to a greater extent and level than he has used me folks that's what it's about as you invest in the lives of others and God takes them and uses them to greater lengths. You know how many young men have been discouraged from ministry by older pastors who are unwilling to fade out to allow those young men to take their place of ministry. We have got to accept our God-given place. You know, I've often been reminded of this. We have got to remember that the time God gives us to make an impact is very brief. You know what a leader does? He understands the brevity of his own spiritual impact. And so he is constantly looking. And God God is not pacing in heaven. God won't be pacing in heaven when when myself or or John Hogue or some of the other uh, more mature individuals fade off the scene. He's not going to be pacing in heaven saying, boy, I wonder what I'm going to do now. He's already preparing the next generation, right? He's already preparing the next leadership to come in and take their place. And God's ministry does not rise and fall in the lifespan of one individual. No, sir. You know, I remember uh, coming onto campus a number of years after I had graduated, talking about some of the men who had had such an influence in my life. And I remember mentioning one name, and the student looked at me. They had no idea who that person was. And God reminded me, the time of your spiritual impact is brief. You need to make the most of it. But don't you think for a minute that God's ministry rises and falls in your lifespan. God has chosen in his sovereignty to use me, not because of me, but in spite of me. But he is already preparing the next generation. Do you remember Joshua? I love it. Joshua 1 opens this way. Moses, my servant, is dead, right? It sounds almost cold and calculated. For those of us who remember the writings of Charles Dickens, it almost sounds like the opening of his Christmas carol, Jacob Marley was dead, deader than a doornail. You know, it's almost cold and 
uncaring, but we know that's not true. What is God trying? He says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, Joshua, you arise, right? It's like he's reminding us of something. I had Moses in my, as my servant for my time, but now Moses' time is over. He's faded. Joshua, now it's your time to rise up. It's brief. It's brief. God is already preparing. And I'm so thankful to be here because I'm looking at young men and women whose hearts God is preparing. And I remember teaching here thinking, oh God, diamond in the rough, that would be kind of that person. But to see the way God is using them today, that's what excites me. I'm thrilled with that. To think of the potential that sits in this room. And God is going to use some of you in great ways. But listen, please accept the place that God has for you. Not everybody who comes to MBBI should be a pastor. Many of you will go back to your churches and serve in various capacities and be, and, and be, and be civil engineers and policemen and lawyers and auditors and all kinds of things. And God needs his leaders there too. So here, here we go. If you, want to be a, if you want to be a person of encouragement, learn this from Barnabas' life. You've got to maintain intimacy with God. That is the case. Because if we do not, we become very self-oriented. We become very self-centered. We become the center of our own universe. And so we've got to plug into God and we've got to be abiding in him. And encouragement will be something that will come naturally to us as we begin to get concerned more about others than about ourselves. And then, listen, as God gives us resources, please see those not as yours, but as God's gift to you to be, as a stewardship to be used primarily to bring blessing to the lives of others And as God brings you into contact in your ministries with many who are casualties of life, understand this. Please don't focus on their past failure. Capitalize on their future potential. See what God can do in their life. Absolutely is what we want to do. And then invest in them. Invest in them. Spend time pouring into their life. Yes, it's going to be frustrating, but that's where the work of ministry really begins. And then serve in that capacity God has for you. And serve there as unto the Lord. And it will free you up to be an encouragement to somebody else in another place of service. Understanding that this is what God has for me. May God, may God continue to write the Chronicle of Barnabas in the lives of everyone of us who are here. Father, thank you for your ministry this week. We have um, appreciated what you have done. And Lord, uh, we would only desire one thing, the lifting up of Jesus' name in the advance of his kingdom. Would you, would you, would you just sing with me a cappella, please? His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful, his name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He is a mighty king, 
Master of everything, His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages, Almighty God is He. Bow down before him, love and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. For Thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above Would you stand with me? Let's worship Him together. I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee. God's people said, Amen. Amen.